Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. The gun is good. The penis is evil. Welcome to the Triple Threat Theater Podcast. This is episode number 63, and I am Zardoz. <laughs> I'm young Barbarella. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, how you doing, Dex? I'm good. I have so many things to say. <laughs> episode 63, tri- Triple Threat Theater. <laughs> episode 63, uh, titled... High concept, and yes, I did air quotes when I said high. The idea being, these are some of the most um, infamous movies ever made when it comes to mainstream movies that are just fucking batshit insane. Because if you want to get into like the kind of more obscure indie stuff that, you know, Vinegar Syndrome or someone puts out, there's all kinds of wackiness, but... It's not often that movies make it to theaters that are as absolutely nuts as 1968's Barbarella, 1974's Zardoz, and 1984's The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Hey, hey, hey. (laughs) Smoke weed every day. (laughs) It's the only thing I can think of after watching these movies. (laughs) Yeah, the insinuation in the title being the people who wrote these movies must have been high on something when they were had to have them. been <laughs> had to have been. So, uh I've had Zardoz on a hard drive for a long time and have always wanted to see it just because of the kind of imagery I'd seen, you know, mm-hmm. um Sean Connery and the whatever you want to call that skimpy red outfit that he wears, the giant rock head. Um, I didn't really know anything about the movie except that people consider it to be absolutely batshit insane. And so coming up with a theme to work around it, obviously movies that are just absolutely nuts would be the theme. (laughs) Uh Now, I had seen personally Barbarella before and uh, Buckaroo Banzai, so Zardoz was the only one new to me. Uh, how about you? Had you seen any of these before? I have not seen any of them. Was aware all three were movies. Now, <laughs> Zardoz, I knew was like, I, I, I think I just knew it was something that was out there. But all I knew was Sean Connery's in it and he's wearing like the bandolier with a Speedo look. <laughs> yeah, I knew... Barbarella was just some kind of old sci-fi movie. I know that like Robert Rodriguez tried to like remake it for a stretch, but I didn't know anything about it. And Buckaroo Banzai, same thing. Couldn't tell you a single person that was in that movie. Mm. But just, again, knew they were all three were a thing. And then we need something like this show to finally watch them. Now, we haven't spoken about any of these. I have no idea 
what your feelings on them are, but mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and say that it pains me to know that you made it this long in life without having clapped eyes on Buckaroo Banzai, <laughs> which is a movie I discovered with the advent of the original Discs in the Mail oh. Netflix years ago at this point. What a time to be alive. <laughs> and have been a fan of ever since. I have a question. Mm-hmm. It's Right now, it's a simple yes or no question. Okay. So up until this point in Triple Threat Theater, including these movies, has there been a worse movie than Abraxas? <laughs> I don't personally think so. I think we had this conversation before, and the closest runner-up for me would be... Um... Which Leprechaun movie was in space? <laughs> Four? Four, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. So, I, I mean, I guess I just showed my hand because you said including these movies. Do you have a different opinion? Um, potentially. <laughs> potentially. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get there. So, yeah, I uh, Barbarella is one that I, you know, I, I might have talked about this before, but back when I was in high school, there was a local record store uh, in this area. It used to be a chain. Now, I believe all of them are gone, uh, eaten up by the internet, uh, called record and tape traders. And there was one in a nearby town. And that's what kind of got me started on my, my trend of every Tuesday I would go there and like, see what was new as far as movies and stuff. I know we've talked about how you and I both kind of used to do that. Yeah. Wait, that one's Um, gone near you or record tape traders. Yeah. You brought me to that before, right? Mm, I don't think so. Are you thinking of sound garden in Baltimore? Nope. There was one I thought near your work. That we went to. Maybe Wonder it's Book just and a Video? Books. Yeah, oh yeah, that one, that one. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's a okay. bookstore, but it's got a little bit of everything, but. Gotcha. Okay. No, this was a record store, and they had movies, and they sold all kinds of the weird, like, Spencer's Giftsy kinds of things, where mm-hmm. it would be like, oh, a weird Jesus action figure, but he's smoking weed, or something mm-hmm. like that. And they had, like, the, the chair that was hard plastic, but it was made to look like a hand, so it's like you were sitting in a giant <laughs> yeah. hand, that kind of stuff. You could buy stink bombs there, but. Uh, they had this huge wall of used DVDs, and at some point they had a uh, an ongoing sale where like all these used DVDs were four for twenty, and so I would go in there and pretty much every week I would just buy four DVDs like stuff I'd wanted to see or that looked interesting, and then whichever ones I liked I would keep and whichever ones I didn't like I would just take back with me the next week and I would trade them in for store credit and I'd buy more. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good system to be honest. Yeah, I mean maybe maybe that's part of the reason that they went into business but <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah, I used to go in there every week and that's why like before Blu-ray my DVD collection was enormous because I used to get just a ton of shit from them. And, um, you know, one of my trips, uh, Barbarella was one of the films where it's like, I, I kind of heard of it before. I knew it was like a sci-fi movie and I just decided to give it a try. And, um, it is one that I decided to keep. Uh, mm. I did not trade it back in because I still have that DVD yeah, you <laughs> and do. that's what I watched for this episode. Yeah, you do. It's one of the like, I don't know, 150 DVDs I still have. Which sounds like a lot, probably, but when you consider that I'm going on 2,000 Blu-rays, it's, it's really not. But um, A million yeah, museum. So, <laughs> I had seen that once before, long ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Buckaroo Bonds I've watched a few times. Um, 
Shout Factory started a sub-label some years ago called Shout Select, which mm-hmm. at first seemed like the intention of that was like they have Scream Factory, which is like all of their kind of horror and sci-fi films. But then Shout Select seemed like it was supposed to be like cult movies or like weird popular stuff like Roadhouse that's kind of kitschy that doesn't belong in Scream Factory, but, you know, could use mm-hmm. its own sub-label. Buckaroo Banzai was the very first Shout Select movie. And I have the first several, but at some point it started to get watered down and it felt like they were just making everything a Shout Select. But mm, Yeah. But it's a good copy of the Shout Select Blu-ray. Um, okay, okay. And then, like I said, Zardoz I had on a hard drive, so I just uh, booted that thing up, and I guess we'll find out in a little while whether I'm glad I didn't have to pay for it or not. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> but uh, were any of these movies that you had any burning desire to watch? No. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah I just... There's always those like uh, Wall of Shame movies or the ones like, oh, I'll get around to that someday. Like these three were so, I wouldn't even say they were on the radar screen. They were completely off. <laughs> so again, that's, I say it many, many times on many episodes. Oh, sometimes you just need a podcast that forces you to watch movies. Yeah. I guess I'm just eternally in that, uh, that ballpark we've talked about before. If I've seen the best, now I need to see the rest because, like Zardoz, like I said, it's it's a movie that isn't generally considered to be any good, but just because of how crazy it is, I've always kind of wanted mm-hmm. to see it. But you know, like on paper, I feel like as a I would consider myself a hardcore movie fan. I should like venture out and watch more things instead of watching like Ghost Dog for the sixth time this year <laughs> or something. You know, but. That I'm that kind of movie fan. I I I glom onto movies I love, and I can like rewatch them, depending on what it is, endlessly. So yeah, where I will die toiling, attempting to watch every movie ever made. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you want every single letterbox entry you can get. <laughs> it's like good cop, bad cop over here. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Same same precinct. <laughs> All right. Well. uh Shall we dive into oh, movie number one? So ready. <laughs> All right. From 1968, we have Barbarella. I'm so grateful for what you've done. I hardly know how to begin to thank you. I'm positive I could get you some sort of recompense from my government. I mean, if, if there's anything you need or that I can do, please tell me. Well, you could let me make love to you. Make love, did you say? What do you mean? You don't even know my psychocardiogram. Eh? Well, on Earth, for centuries, people haven't made love unless their psychocardiogram readings were in perfect confluence. I know nothing of that. You asked me what you can do for me, and I told you. Well, all right. But I don't see what good it will do. Do you have any pills? Pills? Oh, never mind. I have some here. Uh, uh, What is this pill? It's an exaltation transference pellet, of course. Hmm. I know nothing of this. I see. Well, on Earth, when our psychocardiogram readings are in harmony and we wish to make love, as you call it, we take an exaltation transference pellet and remain like this. Here, let me show you. For one minute or until full rapport is achieved. Ah, 
I don't care for that. This, this is what I mean. This, a bed. That? But nobody's done that for centuries. I mean, nobody except the very poor who can't afford the pills and the psychocardiogram readings. Why not? Because it was proved to be distracting and a danger to maximum efficiency. And, and because it was pointless to continue it when other substitutes for ego support and self-esteem were made available. So, you won't do it? Well, if you simply must insist, I guess so. But I can assure you, there's really no point at all in doing it like this. Without your uh, garments, please. Oh. This was based on a French comic book by an artist named Jean-Claude Forrest. And after this and um, our episode not terribly long ago where we talked about um, the fifth element and all the guys like uh, Jean-Claude Mezieres and uh, Jean Giraud and all the artists who worked on that, it feels like if you're a French comic book artist, your name has to be Jean. Yes. <laughs> all of them are Jean. It's a, it's a rule. I read that this is considered, aside from the Tijuana Bibles, uh, Barbarella was considered the first quote-unquote adult or erotic comic book. Oh. I'm not sure exactly when it first debuted, but I'm guessing like late 50s or the 60s since this movie came out in 1968. And that was kind of like the, you know, the hippie era and yeah. free love and all that stuff. I mean, this is a movie that, if nothing else, at least stylistically, very influential in something like Austin Powers. <laughs> you know, that is the far and away, like the, the biggest feeling I had. Like I can't necessarily like pinpoint anything like screen to screen this to Austin Powers, but it just has that vibe more than like any other real movie I feel like I've seen. Yeah. I think I did read that, um, Jane Fonda in this was kind of the inspiration for the female lead in the first Austin Powers. Uh, what was her name? Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth Hurley is the yes. actress. Um, yeah. I think was Ivana Humpalot. Was that her? Or was that the the Heather Graham character no, in the I, sequel? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't think that was her. <laughs> Whatever her name was. Yeah. But yeah, so based on a french comic book and uh previously i would have i would have given this designation to probably hell comes to frogtown but i would say this this has to be the horniest movie we've watched for triple threat <laughs> correct <sighs> um i mean at this point it's getting tough to remember because there's so many movies we've watched for the show but it's got to be up there <laughs> okay yeah, man the the wild 60s <laughs> just for uh for clarification cuz i have a sneaking suspicion there are a fair number of people who haven't seen this movie yeah it's very tongue in cheek and silly uh, you know if the upcoming synopsis doesn't get this idea across the movie's not really meant to be taken seriously but it's like the year 3000 or something like that and Barbarella is just like a spacefaring babe, and she gets a call from, I think it was the president of Earth. 
Like the United Earth something or other. <laughs> yeah. Basically saying that a scientist named Durand Durand, and yes, the band Durand Durand took their name from that character. Unreal. <laughs> has created uh, some kind of uh, weapon called the Positronic Ray, I think, which could like destroy the world. Of course. And at this point in the future, um, for like a thousand years or something like that, Earth has been a, um, what did they call it? Like a pacifist society. Like there's no, there's no war. Nobody fights anymore. It's just like a kind of utopia, I guess. So it's strange mm. that this guy has created this weapon. And uh, so the president calls up Barbarella and says he's on whatever planet. Could you please go and try and find him so that we can make sure that the positronic ray doesn't fall into the wrong hands? So she goes there, and without getting into it, she's trying to find him. She meets up with a bird man, <laughs> played by John Philip Law, and there's like uh, this evil queen named the Black Queen, and the entire like surface of the planet or something is covered with this like liquid creature that mm-hmm. uh, it's i mean it is psychedelic and insane and defies explanation hey, don't don't forget the guy that's like dressed up kind of like a gorilla without the mask <laughs> um, yeah you got those two girls riding around like uh i don't know uh, what uh, on a stingray more or less <laughs> Yep. I mean, there's just some wild shit. They tie Barb like these all these children tie Barbarella up and then they sick these like baby dolls with gnashing teeth after her. Mm-hmm. And then she's rescued by a guy who his as his reward for rescuing her, he wants to have sex with her. But in the future, they've deemed like normal, you know, penetration sex to be I don't know, too animalistic or something. So they've developed this future technology where you like take a pill and you hold the palms of your hand against one another and close your eyes. And there's like some kind of mental orgasm or something, but he wants to have like real sex because he's from some other planet. And they do that a couple times during the movie. (laughs) I mean, far and away, no triple threat episode more where I just audibly said like, what the fuck? (laughs) through the course of like three movies i mean this is the episode (laughs) for that man yeah it's completely bananas the best way i can think of to describe it is like we've watched never-ending story and how like bizarre of like a children's fantasy movie that is Mm -hmm. this almost to me feels like the adult version of never-ending story where it's just like everything is a matte painting and a weird half cobbled together set and weird costumes and concepts that are just like absolutely insane. But this one has like a lot of titties in it. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of that. It just kind of the whole thing doesn't make sense. It just seems like you said, it's like they're on a backlog. They had to have been on a backlog somewhere. And it was like the day of the shoot. It's like, let's see what's out in the alleyways that we can put on this, (laughs) on the set or like what kind of tubes and switches and, gizmos we can use so with all that said what did you think of the movie (laughs) overall i thought it was painful to watch (laughs) like this is just not for me you know Mm -hmm. it's just like it you know i just that whole maybe it's even like that kind of like it's a combination of like the 60s and the psychedelic and just you know 
it feels like throughout the thing, I just like it just feels like lazy sci-fi. You know, like mm-hmm. everything's like gobbledygook, mumbo jumbo nonsense. You know. Yeah, it's like there's no like yes, there's a plot, and yes, there's like allegedly this ray that could destroy mm-hmm. the world, and they're trying to stop it. But it feels like there's no real threat no. or anything to hang your hat on. It's just like a series of increasingly ridiculous scenes with right. just kind of a you know grinning, happy-go-lucky girl wandering through it. Yeah. I don't even know if like I, late sixties cash grab is the right idea. Maybe it was because it just seems like it was like low effort, you know. It just yeah, it's kind of just I was bored. I mean, I was just like, oh, you know, like oh, now there's an angel in this movie that's blind. Well, I was like, okay, I guess that makes sense too. Like, what are they gonna have next? You know? Yeah, admittedly, like what you're describing, that feeling of like, you know, it's. All these big crazy ideas, but it just feels like characters are moving from scene to scene and set to set without any real, like, Mm -hmm. you know, pace or, like, plot progression to speak of. That is honestly how I feel watching a lot of fantasy kind of stuff. Uh, Like, that's a little how I remember feeling watching uh, The Dark Crystal for the show back when we talked about Mm -hmm. that movie. Where it's just like, let's just throw out a completely nonsensical reason for a character to go on a journey. And then it's just now they're here and they interact with this crazy looking thing. And then they move to another set and they interact with another crazy looking person. And that's kind of what this is as well. Yeah, And like you can. Labyrinth was also the same way for me. Like if I did not have that childhood connection to mm-hmm. never ending story, I bet I would have felt the same way watching that one. Probably I mean, I can I think um even like just back to that quick like Dark Crystal was a little even more cohesive where Labyrinth it felt like they were just pulling even though I liked that one, it was just like yeah, they, they just pull, like drop a character into things. a labyrinth and she wanders around. And there could be any form of character or creature there. Yeah. Which yeah, Barbara feels like that. It's like, oh yeah, we got the we got the monkey man, or we got these uh, manta rays, or now there's an angel. There's we got like, the uh, the black hollow suits of armor yeah. people, and right, we got our light guns, and we got those people living in the caves. It's just like okay, <laughs> I was yeah. like, I was thinking, I was like, I, I mean, I guess I don't know my drug history all that much. I was like, what were they doing in the sixties? <laughs> but I was like, was it LSD. I was like, this feels like what LSD sounds like. I guess, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I 100% agree that that's the kind of movie this is, and um, I I find this a little more watchable, um, and I'm not 100% sure why, uh, than some of the other stuff that we've talked about. I don't know if it's just that I'm so used to those movies kind of being so tame, and it's just like, oh, my name's... Glorf and I'm a friendly <laughs> goblin. Now let's like dance nope. around for a couple minutes. This movie has like a little more of an edge to it because it is a mature film and it's like that, that is know, very you, Ryan Miller of you. You don't expect all, to all of a sudden have the character put in basically a giant orgasm machine where they're oh. the the bad guy is trying to like make her like to pleasure her sexually. To, to the her. point that she dies from pleasure, and then she's like so sexually awakened that the machine overheats and bursts into flames because yeah. she can't be, you know. <laughs> I yeah, don't know. No, it's, yeah, forget trying to make sense of that part. I mean, it's, it's fucking bonkers. 
And uh, I do like that about it. <laughs> it. I mean, it's bonkers. There's actually some like practical effect stuff that I was like that, that ridiculous organ thing, or even like the angel wings. I was like, Oh, they actually like kind of went for it with like those who can move and all that stuff. I was mm-hmm. surprised for like the sixties, like see that kind of stuff. But then some of it looks so bad, like yeah, oh yeah, like when she's flying her spaceship, it's just like <laughs> you can tell that they're not taking themselves seriously when the entire inside of her spaceship is covered in like shag carpet, oh yeah, like gold shag carpet, yeah. For for like the two things I thought like were good, it's the seventy four other things where it's just like oh <laughs> yeah, it's like this is just like the like I said the backlot refuse of old pipes and tubes and i love the uh the special effect quote unquote in the opening where she's supposed to be disrobing in zero gravity mm-hmm. but the way that they did it is they just turned the entire set sideways put down a giant sheet of glass and had her lay on the glass and like roll around and that was supposed to be her in zero gravity <laughs> i mean technically that's kind of effective I mean, it is and it isn't like it gets across what's supposed to be happening, yeah. but it's like so obvious that she's not even suspended by wires or yeah. something. Yeah, it's just like it looks weird. It's like when you see in old movies, like when someone's supposed to be like falling out a window or something and they just had them lay on their back on a green screen <laughs> and wave their arms and then they pull the camera away from them. Oh, yeah. So it's like the person is disappearing into the distance and getting smaller, but their body isn't toppling or anything. They're just like static with their arms and legs moving. It's that Mm -hmm. kind of effect where it is. I get what you're doing, but it doesn't look real at all. Yeah. Like it it, it just doesn't look right. But I I did left me thinking, like, how did they do that? Because I was like, I don't think this is wires. So to hear you say, like, oh, they shot her from top down, like, that does make sense now. Because, yes, like she doesn't move. She's only moving on, like, the Y-axis, not the, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, I guess that makes sense. She was just, like, laying on something. Yeah. So it did work for that, but, yeah, it looks looks weird. (laughs) As does everything in this movie. But pretty much. I mean, one of the best things about the film is all of her costume changes, just all the weird outfits that she wears. there, There are a ton. Yeah, she's just, every other scene, her costume is getting destroyed, and then she puts on something else weird and sexy. But yeah, it uh, totally not the kind of movie where you judge it based on like the plot or anything. It's like everybody was kind of in on the joke, so it's just does this kind of movie work for you or not? <laughs> right. And um, I don't know. I don't love this movie. It's not something where I'm like captivated by it and like super into it or anything. But uh, you know, the last time I watched it was when I was in high school, mm-hmm. which is like 20 years ago at this point. So I would say Barbarella is a solid once every 20 years viewing for me. So. <laughs> It, it it definitely afterwards i was like i'm glad i saw that you know so i could uh join in on the fun of being like oh yeah the 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 late the swinging 60s uh this is what kind of stuff that came out of that so it is kind of one of those movies isn't it where it's like oh yeah it's it's almost like a feather to put in your cap of weird movies you've seen kind of because it's like yeah if it comes up in conversation and if someone was like you know going off about how lo- lunatic esque uh barbarella is i was like oh yeah i can i can uh claim that as well <laughs> yeah so like i said john philip law plays pygar the blind Birdman. uh he's in a bunch of like 
kind of low budget and forgotten exploitation-y kind of films. He's in Death Rides a Horse with Lee Van Cleef and um, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, you know, these kind of films. Mm -hmm. He was basically just like a handsome, muscular guy who looked good with his shirt off uh, and oftentimes was like a menacing villain or the rugged hero. But um, yeah, nobody else, I, I mean, so do you know the name Marcel Marceau? It's a, it's like these movies. Yes, I know that's a person. Yeah, like I don't really know anything about Marcel Marceau except that I remember, you know, Kevin Smith at some point referring to Silent Bob as like the Marcel Marceau character in his movies, which that's the only thing I ever knew about him. But that was enough to tell me, oh, he was like a mime or like a, an actor who didn't speak. He's the one who plays Professor Ping, who like <laughs> fixes her ship. In mm-hmm. the movie, yeah, and this was his first speaking role in a film, Man. so I guess that's noteworthy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, aside from them, I mean, nobody else I really recognized or or knew in the film, and yeah. obviously Jane Fonda in the lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the way that this movie happened is uh, the producer Dino De Laurentiis he got the rights to Barbarella, which again was a French comic book, and Danger Diabolic, or I think it was originally just called Diabolic, but the movie that they made out of it is called Danger Diabolic. And uh, that is a movie made by Mario Bava that was also based on a comic book. Diabolic is about like a, he's kind of like a modern day for the 60s Robin Hood, but he, he dresses almost like a cat burglar and he like robs from the rich kind of thing. So he's kind of like an anti-hero. So De Laurentiis decided he wanted to make some movies based on comic books because he thought that this was a market that might be worth getting into. So he bought the rights to both of them and decided to make Danger Diabolic first because it being set essentially in the real world, it would be the cheaper of the two to produce. You know, he knew that Barbarella was going to cost a lot since it was like, you know, they had to build all the space sets and everything. Uh And so... His plan was to use basically the profits of Danger Diabolic to then make Barbarella. And uh, a lot of the same cast and crew came over from that movie, including John Philip Law, who I believe plays the lead in Danger Diabolic. As for the guy who directed this movie, his name is Roger Vadim, or Vadim, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce his name. He happened to be married to Jane Fonda at the time, which is how she ended up in the movie. They tried to get a couple of other actresses, including Bridget Bardot, who Roger Vadim had previously been married to. Oh, man. <laughs> and Sophia Loren to be in the movie, uh, but they both turned it down. Uh, I had almost more fun reading about Roger Vadim than I did uh, about the movie. Turns out he's been, well, he's dead now, but he was married six times in his life. Of course he was. <laughs> Four of the, his wives were actresses, and one of them was a writer who wrote for movies and television. At what number, Millsy, do you tap out on marriages? I mean, if you're Roger Vadim, or Vadim, however you pronounce his name, uh, I would say never. I would say if you are like a actress, like a leading woman, mm-hmm. like a Jane Fonda or a Bridget Bardot, at what point do you look at how many wives he's had and say, no, I'm good? It's a good point. It's a good <laughs> angle. Yeah. Because I yeah. feel like you're, you know, I feel like it's 
you know, there's plenty of second and not probably third marriages, but you start hitting four or five, six. I mean, yeah, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, it's a lot. Apparently, like, this is one of those things that's kind of lost to time, but back in the day, during that time, when he was, like, a Hollywood director and Jane Fonda and Bridget Bardot were some of, like, the biggest leading ladies out there, he was, like, known in the news for being, like, you know, for having having a lot of, consorting with a lot of women, essentially. <laughs> Like, he would have been, you know, the previous era's version of, you know, someone like Brad Pitt or whatever that mm. the, you know, the okay. Inquirer is always doing articles about, like, all mm-hmm. of the women he's with and whatever, or, or Ben Affleck or something, from what I can understand. But, uh, yeah, he's got an interesting Wikipedia that might be worth looking at. <laughs> I, I bet. <laughs> Movie was written by Terry Southern, who also gave us Dr. Strangelove. Uh, the original Casino Royale with Peter Sellers and uh, was one of the writers on Easy Rider. Okay. He's one of those guys who, if you listen to enough people talk about old movies, you hear his name thrown around a lot. And it's just interesting to see that, like, okay, Barbarella and Dr. Strangelove, these are the movies we got because of his weird sensibilities. Mm-hmm. It always feels, I have no nothing to back this up, but maybe it's just, like, from the time, 60s and 70s, like, I just like imagine all these screenwriters like living full lives and then they finally like, I'm not, now I'm going to write movies, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's yeah. one of those things where if you write along with, um, you know, not leading ladies because they wanted them as like young and gorgeous as possible. But, you know, once upon a time, a leading man in a movie was always a guy that was like in his forties or fifties. Right. And, you know, if you had someone playing a high school student, it was, you know, someone who's like 32 years old mm-hmm. playing a high schooler, mm-hmm. like Steve McQueen in The Blob or something. <laughs> right. And I feel like same way. It's like all the directors, for the most part, were older guys and all of the writers were older guys. It's like you had to pay your dues in Hollywood before you started yeah, to actually get totally. the gigs or whatever. Yeah, so it feels like. Yeah, which, you know, it doesn't really feel like that's the case anymore. And you have, you know, young upstarts like Tarantino and Kevin Smith and whoever else coming along and making waves. And they're like the more interesting people now. But uh, hell, I mean, even those guys have been in the industry for 30 years now. So those may not even be good examples. But (laughs) Makes sense, though. Yeah. Uh, Can we talk about how weird the ending of Barbarella is? By all means. No better time to talk about it. I mean... Basically, there's a large battle, like with the aforementioned light guns and all that business. And then the, I don't know, whatever the space goo is, is doing its thing. But then it kind of ends abruptly. Like, this is the, the, this is the end of the movie. So Pygar is flying. He has Barbarella under one arm and the great tyrant lady under the other. Barbarella. Pygar. Why did you save her after all the terrible things she did to you? Pygar, an angel has no memory. Right. Cut to black. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? I don't, <laughs> I was like, I don't what? know what the hell that's supposed to mean. Yeah. I was like, why is that the line? Like, so he just doesn't remember anything of this entire movie? Like, I mean, I feel like they would have done the movie a disservice if the ending had made more sense than that. You know, that is actually a great point. <laughs> the last thing I want. Barbara to ever do is make, make any more sense than it did five minutes before. 
again, they're not taking themselves super seriously. So it's like, did we need to see a scene of her taking the positronic ray back to Earth and shaking the hand <laughs> of the president or something? Right. No. Oh, yeah. Uh, movie, I couldn't find any real info about how much the movie made, but it was the second highest grossing film of 1968 in the UK. Hmm. I searched and searched trying to figure out what beat it, but I could not find that information. <laughs> uh, the movie allegedly had a budget of between four and nine million, which I feel like is a pretty big swing for 1968, but, uh, yeah, I could not find the box office numbers for this one. That sounds like a lot of scratch for 68, and I'm going to say yeah, a lot of it went to drugs. <laughs> yeah. So a sequel was planned called Barbarella Goes Down, which would have seen her engage in an underwater adventure. Of course. I don't know if the movie just didn't do well enough, at least in the U.S., or make enough money back that they never bothered making it. Barbarella is one of those things that just never seems to go away, though. Like, if it was culturally significant back then, I feel like it's really not now. But, like, there's a current comic book series coming out from Dynamite Entertainment. Really? Yeah, this is one of those things that has numerous times over the years been rumored to be, like, a TV series or a new movie. Mm -hmm. In 1990, Dino De Laurentiis contacted the original writer Terry Southern about making a sequel, quote, on the cheap but with plenty of action and sex (laughs) and possibly starring Jane Fonda's daughter. (laughs) All Uh, right. but, But that never happened. You already mentioned Robert Rodriguez. After Sin City came out, he planned to do a remake with Rose McGowan in the lead, but uh, Universal withdrew over budget concerns because I guess the bud, like the uh, projected budget, ballooned to like eighty million, and they were like, "There's no way this movie will make that much." Wow! <laughs> and uh, scratch. in 2012, it was announced that of all people, Nicholas Winding Refn was going to turn it into a TV series at Amazon. What? Yeah. Okay. But uh, by 2016, that had fallen through. And I'm sure somewhere on someone's desk is a script for a new Barbarella movie in Hollywood right now. I'd say it's better off hanging out in the 60s. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where, like, what would that movie be now? Right. I imagine Robert Rodriguez would have made it more, like, serious and violent. But I just, this movie belongs in the 1960s. Like yeah. the thing of note about this movie is how weird in 1960s it is. It just feels like it doesn't belong in the modern day. It barely belongs in 68. <laughs> yeah. But so hopefully, hopefully we only ever have the one Barbarella film. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah. Time will tell on that one, old friend. <laughs> yeah, certainly will. On to our next acid trip. Oh, please. <laughs> From 1974, we have the infamous Zardoz. Zardoz speaks to you, his chosen ones. You have been raised up from brutality to kill the brutals who multiply. And our legion, to this end, Zardoz, your god, gave you the gift of the gun. The gun is good. The penis is evil. The penis shoots seeds and makes new life to poison the earth with a plague of men, as once it was. But the gun shoots death and purifies the earth of the filth of brutals. Go forth 
and killed. Zardoz has spoken. So again, all I knew about this one was a couple of images I had seen, and I was just always like, I have to see this movie where Sean Connery is wearing like some red straps across his chest and like a little bikini bottom with thigh-high leather boots and a ponytail and that enormous mustache. I just, I always knew that I had to see it eventually, and it just so happens that now is the time. I mean, as crazy as it is to say, it almost feels like an iconic thing. Like, just the shot of him, like, with the gun in that ridiculous outfit. Yeah. Like, I feel like plenty of people, will probably be the same as me, like, know Zardoz is a thing from that ludicrous outfit, but have never seen it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that was essentially me until until yeah. now. I like, mean, I, I never knew anything about this movie. I never, like, really read anything about it. I just knew that it was considered to be absolutely bonkers. Let me tell you, Mills. Mm-hmm. So I watched these in order of our review, Barbarella, Zardoz, Buckaroo, Bonsai. So I finished Barbarella, immediately going to Zardoz. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, like, like, damn, Barbarella was horny as hell. What's Zardoz got in store for me? Five minutes in, the gun is good. The penis is evil. (laughs) Was it even five minutes? Probably, no. I don't even, probably not. And I said, holy shit. I mean, the movie opens with a black void with uh, the character Arthur Frayne, like his head floating around. And he's basically just giving narration, which I read... That that sequence was not originally in the movie, but the studio demanded that it be added to help Stop. to help the audience better understand what they were watching. Which that didn't work for me. I had no, no idea what was going on. <laughs> I thought that was the worst idea. I said, I think I probably said out loud, "Why didn't the studio cut this part?" Because that seemed like <laughs> yeah. no one would ever put that in. And then I was like. Is this guy's mustache drawn on his face? Yeah, he's got like a blue or green mustache drawn on his oh. face, and then he's got like a little goatee that's also just like brown lines drawn. It and it's not like, like it's not like anybody thought, oh, they're gonna this is gonna look real. Like it's obviously intended to be fake. For sure. And it he's just, just talking bad. in this almost like it sounds like he's reciting a Shakespearean poem or something. And yeah, that's like the least of the weird shit in this movie. Like, Awful. it cuts straight from that to, like, hordes of people dressed in the outfit we've already talked about Sean Connery wearing. Some of them wearing these weird masks of the giant Zardoz head. And then, literally, the movie, like, starts with the giant rock head floating through the sky and talking about the penis. Yeah. Did not have that on my bingo sheet, I'll tell you. <laughs> Yeah. None of that. And so, like, the head lands, and all these people, some of them on horseback, they all ride up, and they're obviously, like, you know, bowing to this thing and praising it like a god. And the penis is bad, but the gun is good. And then guns and ammunition just start flying out of the giant gaping mouth of this rock head. And I really was sitting there like, you know, I've always heard this is one of the weirdest movies ever made, and uh, they're getting right into it. I mean, two two thoughts immediately after, like, the penis line. I was like, oh, here we go. And then I said, first I said, 
All right, I gotta find that stone Zardoz head from Millsy for Christmas. There has Put, to be like a Christmas ornament or something. There has to be. And then I was like, what? What happened to Sean Connery that he signed on for this? Well, like apparently, where did it go wrong? Let me let me. Do I have the quote here? Um, oh, okay. I hope so. So Burt Reynolds was originally cast in the lead role, which. <laughs> I mean, I can see it because Sean Connery, just like hairy chested mustache, yeah, he looks right? like Burt Reynolds in this. Yeah. yeah. So he was originally cast in the lead role, but he had to drop out due to illness. I have to wonder if he didn't like wake up from the two week long bender he was on when he signed on to the movie mm-hmm. and was like, "Oh no, I can't do this. This sounds fucking ridiculous." Yeah. Yeah, like he's got like he was just doing lines of coke on the script <laughs> and never read it, and then it was just like, "Oh, oh, this is what I'm working on." <laughs> So, quote John Borman, the writer and director of the movie, Connery had just stopped doing the Bond films and he wasn't getting any jobs. So oh. he came along and he did it. Well, there we go. I mean, that's surprising to me that he stops doing James Bond and then like he couldn't get other roles. I don't know if it was because people saw him typecast as that, but I mean, it was after he had left the franchise and gone back again for Diamonds or Forever and skipped on Her Majesty's Secret Service with George Lazenby in the meantime. And, like, the, the, I guess people didn't like Lazenby, so the studio begged Connery to come back and do Diamonds Are Forever, after which huh. he was like, all right, I'll do one more, but this is it. And I'm wondering if it's not a case of, like, you know, when Vin Diesel left uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise because he thought he was going to be, like, a real yeah. actor. And then that one like the- movie he did... Um, the tooth no was he the tooth fairy or was that the rock no that was the rock no he did like a serious he, he film a, that like john Gotti movie or something uh called find me guilty where he played like a a mob informant and it's actually a good movie and vin diesel's good in it but it's like that movie didn't take off and so he eventually was just like fine yeah. i'll accept my fate as being fast and the furious guy i'll be dominic toretto for the rest of my life mm-hmm. i wonder if it's not something like that where just like yeah for a while there, after James Bond, you know, he had been Bond five, six times, and that's all people could see him as. So Imagine the hit to the ego that is, where it's yeah. like, I was James Bond. Well, the who's... studio just begged me to come back yeah. and back to truckload of money up to my house to get me to be in one more of these movies, mm-hmm. and now I can't get anything, so yeah. I'm just going to be in Zardoz. It's going to be in fucking Zardoz. Yeah. So... <sighs> So the premise of this one is essentially Here we go. <laughs> the giant head shows up. Everybody's like bowing down to it. And then the head takes off and is flying through the sky. And Sean Connery is, has hidden inside the head. And um, the Arthur Frayne guy that we mentioned, whose head was floating around in the opening of the film, he's inside the big stone head, which I'm confusing myself trying to explain this right now. Sean Connery basically shoots that guy and he falls out Mm -hmm. of the giant head, presumably to his death. And the giant head is on autopilot back to where it came from and lands in this little settlement in this like beautiful countryside where there's like what feels like a very 1970s sci-fi concept of like, there are the elites that live you know, mm-hmm. in a bubble away from the undesirables. The Eternals. Yeah, yes, they are called the Eternals. <laughs> I couldn't Man. stop thinking about that myself. How like this is a batshit crazy sci-fi movie that almost feels more like a uh, Jack Kirby mm-hmm. creation than the Eternals movie did. Oh yeah, that giant floating head would have totally been in the <laughs> yeah, old for Kirby sure. Con. For sure, that looks like a Kirby thing. 
But um, the Eternals live there in this like perfect society. They're called the Eternals because they have mastered how to live forever. And in their society, within this literal force field bubble that no one else can get into, if you do something wrong, if you're being like punished by the law instead of like going to prison or something, they basically take months or years off of your life. So like if you do something mild, like a small offense, then you'll be sentenced to have like five years taken off of your, or like five months taken off of your life. If it's something major, they take like five years off of your life. And the whole thing is, you know, I guess they're spending days like money or something. So ridiculous. Uh, Can you imagine if we like were blessed with a Jack Kirby adaptation of Zardoz? I mean, imagine that would be incredible, <laughs> man. I mean, he did some uh, sequel comics to 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I've he never did? read, but have to be crazy enough already oh, as it is. Damn. Okay. But um, yeah, I don't even everyone know how... knows how much you love that space baby. <laughs> I prefer the center <laughs> part of that movie with Hal. Maybe one well, day we'll review that one. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I've heard you say your favorite part of that is the space baby. I'm pretty sure you've been smoking the same stuff John Borman was when he wrote uh, Zardoz. <laughs> Fair. But yeah, so basically Sean Connery, he's the people who live outside of the the city that the Eternals are in, they call Brutals, and they're basically just like barbarian people. Uh, but they now have, he's like the first one ever to get inside of the this force field bubble. And so this one woman named May, she wants to study him. And another uh, female character played by Charlotte Rampling, whose name is Consuela, she wants him dead. It's determined that May will be allowed three weeks to study him. And then there's some twists and turns in the middle. Uh, and you find out that Sean Connery isn't just like a mindless brute. He's actually intelligent and he mm-hmm. came in there on purpose. And I mean, it's no, it's a very complicated <laughs> premise. Are also also not on my bingo sheet. The ridiculous big secret reveal. Okay, so th- you're talking about like the book. It was about I'm watching the movie, and this one, I was like, I was still hanging on to hope because I was like, <laughs> this really? movie's so crazy. Like, it's there's gotta be like some reasoning behind this because the first like 45 minutes of the movie is just a nonstop sequence of events with no explanation at all. Correct. And I was starting to get a little bored by it. Oh yeah. And so a like just shy of an hour into the movie, it's like John Borman was suddenly like, Oh shit, right. This movie has to have a plot. Let mm-hmm. me explain to the audience what's happening. And I will admit that, I thought it was a pretty cool twist and premise. How did you feel about it? <laughs> like, I, mean, I was in that moment like, okay, this might save the movie for me. Well, see, I was at that point, I was just like, what? I was like, that's why it's called Zardoz. I cannot <laughs> fucking believe this. Yeah, very reminiscent to V'ger from the original Star Trek, the motion picture, where they find the Voyager robot, but a couple of the letters are scratched off of the surface, <laughs> so it calls itself V'ger. Oh, God. <laughs> Basically, Sean Connery had stumbled upon a library out in the decimated remains of the real world, learned how to read, 
And then when he re- he was reading every book in the library, and when he reads The Wizard of Oz, he realizes, oh, shit, this is what's happening to us. You know, The Wizard of Oz was just a facade with like a normal person behind it. And he realizes our god, this giant floating head, Zardoz, which is Wizard of Oz with the W-I yeah. from wizard and the word of taken out of it. He, he covers them with his fingers. Yeah. And you get Zardoz. I could fucking believe it. I said. He basically realizes that uh, this is what's happening to us. And that's when he decides he wants to find out who's behind it all. And like, it, I don't know. It's not. It's kind of dumb. But it is dumb. At that point in the movie, I was honestly expecting it to just be an hour and 45 minutes of absolute nonsense, which on the most, for the most part it is. But I was going to say, was then like, it's just, it's still an hour and 43 minutes of nonsense. But. <laughs> but like in that moment, I was like, oh shit, an actual story is about to start happening. And I, I had hope. <laughs> oh man. And then they just go back to the utopia. I mean, there were two points in the movie where I really perked up and I was interested. It was that sequence where all of a sudden you find out, oh, Sean Connery is actually smart. And then you see him like go out to the edge of the force field and he's like signaling to some of his barbarian buddies on the outside. And it's like, oh, shit, this is like, are they going to try and pull like a fucking heist or something? Like, what is this? (laughs) Like, I was interested at that point. And then later on, even in the movie one of the characters explains the backstory of how, cause this is supposed to be earth. I think it's supposed to be like, like year, 300 years in the future. Yeah. Like 2,293 or something like that. It, like they, there was a sequence where they explained how the human race got to this point, how they discovered eternal life and how the world segregated into these two groups of people. Like when they got into those bits and it was like, okay, someone actually thought this out and is giving us explanations on things. Those parts interested me, but then aside from those two like five minute sequences, the movie is just utter nonsense. Yeah. I mean I see what the the point you're making on those two points, but me me being me, it's just like, yeah, that's far too little, far too late. Like just with with the rest of it still like I can't I can't stop focusing on like why how they put him in a speedo with thigh high boots and just now he's in a library i was just like well the funniest part of that is there's a part later in the movie like sean connery spends the entire movie like there's also sequences like a long part of the movie where he gets rid of the bandoliers and he's just all he's wearing are the thigh high boots and the little like uh bikini bottom like speedo Mm -hmm. Uh, running around like that the whole movie and you know it's post James Bond I don't know how old he is at this point but it's like we were talking about before like if this movie were made nowadays it would be like a young buff guy playing the lead role because he's topless the whole time and that's you know what the studios think women want to see but this is like a middle-aged man who when he's running around he's like jiggling because he's kind of flabby but there's a part in the movie where briefly he's wearing a disguise that is like a wedding dress. And I actually read that Sean Connery felt uncomfortable about appearing quote in drag when he had to wear the bridal dress, regardless of how he was dressed the rest of the movie. So he was completely fine wearing just like a speedo and thigh high boots for 98% of this film. But the one scene where he had to wear a dress, he was self-conscious about it. What the fuck is that? (laughs) That, Yeah. That's an unanswerable question. (laughs) Because, 
That's just ridiculous. Yeah. Hey, well, I mean, just jumping ahead to the end real quick, how do you feel about that green tunic or whatever? Yeah, I mean, it was just surprising to see him finally wearing clothes. Uh, <laughs> <It's true. laughs> I mean, uh, so... Yeah, the movie, we could talk about it for an hour and still not explain like yeah. to what degree the movie is bizarre. This truly is one of those ones, I would say similar to kind of what you were saying about Barbarella. I feel like it's kind of a must-see just because of how crazy it is. Like, no one should go into it expecting I'm going to really, honestly get enjoyment out of this. But it is like a, you, you have to see it to believe it kind of situation. I mean, it's kind of like Barbarella for me, just being like, yeah, I can be like, yeah, I saw that crazy yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. That, that's kind of the same place I am. Yeah, like meeting a random person, like, hey, have you ever seen Sean Connery's weirdest <laughs> movie? I'd be like, yep, sure have. Maybe don't start the conversation like that. But <laughs> yeah. But here's my question, because you insinuated at the beginning of the show that uh, you may have found a competitor to go up against uh, Abraxas as the worst movie we've seen, mm-hmm. and it'll break my goddamn heart if it turns out to be Buckaroo Banzai. So I'm going to go ahead and assume it's not that one. Aside from what we just said about like, oh, now it's part of my repertoire. Did what, did you enjoy this movie at all? Was there any anything that you found like that you were intrigued by or you, you liked in the least? No. <laughs> and I was like, I I found Barbarella to be brutal to watch. And Zardar's even worse so. I was like, Zardar's is actually making me enjoy Barbarella a little more. Because at least, like, I was like, Barbarella was fun in retrospect, where Zardar's is not. Well, that's the thing. That's what I was going to say is that Barbarella is completely batshit insane, but they knew that they were making a completely weird, silly movie. Yeah. This was John Borman, like the guy who gave us Deliverance and Excalibur. And like he was trying to make a live action Lord of the Rings. And when that fell through, he ended up doing this instead. Like this was a serious filmmaker, like trying to, I don't know exactly what messages he was trying to get across, but this was like a serious film for him. And it's absolutely fucking bananas, but it takes itself a hundred percent seriously. And so, like, it's, like, it's so pompous and self-important, and it's just, like, cringy to watch a lot of the time. Yeah. It's, like, grim and dour and dull. Just, like, yeah, any, like, kind of, you could not tell me right now there was some message trying to be put across because it's just, like. Maybe pompous is probably the best word. It does certainly feel that way. Yeah, I mean, this was just a guy who was drinking his own Kool-Aid, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was kind of a big-name director at the time, and uh, it just... Like, what's the, the, like, the saying? Something like, you know, like, or having money or or status is, like, it's no uh, indicator of taste. (laughs) Yeah. Because, like, this is... I just can't imagine... Like, I couldn't imagine, like meeting or knowing a person that would make the decisions that went into making Zardoz. Yeah. And be like, oh, this is, yeah, I'm going ahead with this. It's just crazy to think that he was able to convince a studio to make something like this. Because again, Barbarella, you know, they take it to a studio or whatever, uh, or producer Dino De Laurentiis, and they're like, we want to turn this goofy, sexy adventure story into a movie. 
but and like you can see how that would happen. Um, and I think it's largely the same reason that the people who made Buckaroo Banzai, which we'll talk about in a moment, I can imagine how they convinced somebody to make that movie because it's like, you know, it's not taking itself 100% seriously. There's humor to it and whatnot and, and like kitsch. But this movie was like a guy 100% serious about trying to get across whatever the fuck the messages of this movie were. And um, it's just like, I feel like the only reason it got made is because of his name, value, and status. And at the time, they probably just thought, yeah, if this guy's going to make a movie, it's going to be worth making. I, you know, I, I should have wrote this down, but I think earlier I was like poking around a bit. And I thought I saw a quote, and it might have been from the director saying that like, people making sci-fi movies and like they just have it they have it as just like uh like people running around in spacesuits is their idea of sci-fi or whatever like Mm -hmm. trying to make it out like this was like a bigger a bigger idea where i was just like i disagree completely i'd much rather just watch someone's fun movie of guys running around spacesuits than this trash you know what i actually have here a quote i basically took this verbatim from uh, wikipedia so borman said Nobody wanted to do it. Warners didn't want to do it, even though I made a shitload of money for them. Uh, His then agent, David Begelman, knew the head of 20th Century Fox wanted to make a film with John Borman and offered the executive the script to read, but insisted on a decision within two hours. Whoa. Begelman told him it's either yes or no. You have no approvals and it's a million dollars negative pickup. I'm not exactly sure what that terminology means. Borman said that the Fox guy came to London and I was very nervous. So I went to lunch while he read the script. When he finally came out of the office, his hand was shaking clearly with no idea what to make of the script. Bagelman went straight up to him and said, congratulations. He never gave the poor guy a chance. (laughs) So it sounds like he kind of got strong armed into producing the movie as it is. Wow. But Zardoz, man. Yeah, I I mean, I can say that, you know, uh, I don't get the same kind of enjoyment out of this movie that I do out of something like Barbarella again, because it it knows what it's doing. But um, I mean, again, there were a couple of like, I I think that some of the sci-fi concepts in this, you could take out a lot of the weird like subtext and messages and trippy visuals and take some of the ideas and turn it into like a decent science fiction story. I mean, again, I I feel like this is derivative of a lot of Mm seventies sci-fi. I mean, the idea like the Eternals and the Brutals and having like a fake God controlling Mm -hmm. them is interesting, but they just, yeah. I mean, all that stuff feels like it's stuff that we've seen a million times before. And there was a lot of like uh, 60s and 70s sci-fi about like utopian societies that it turns out there's a dark secret behind it. Stuff like Logan's Run or, you know, I mm-hmm. wouldn't call anything in, in Soylent Green a utopia. But, in, you know, it's another movie where it's like, oh, there's darkness behind this like idyllic future solution to a problem or whatever. There's just a lot of that stuff, and so it feels very typical of all of that. It's not unique in any way because of its premise. It's just unique because of how fucking ridiculous it is. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I I was bored by stretches of it, and by the end, I pretty much completely wrote it off when he's just, like, wandering through rooms with all those, like, trippy light shows around yeah. him, and then they mm-hmm. do the weird fades where... 
him and Charlotte Rampling have a kid and then it's just like showing them growing old and dying in a second. And like, I don't know what any of that shit was supposed to mean. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone does. Yeah. I don't know. There were it's overly self-indulgent. There were bits and pieces in there that I thought were interesting or had potential, but yeah, mm. on the whole, uh, it earns its distinction as being one of the weirdest fucking mainstream movies ever released. <laughs> yeah. I will roll with that. Uh, the budget for this movie was surprisingly only 1.5 million. Oh, it made 1.8 in the box office. Jesus. So it didn't even have that high of a number to reach and it just barely reached it. Wow. Director John Borman would later admit that he was under the, he was under heavy drug influence while writing the film and during production. Oh, you don't say. He also claims that not even he is sure what parts of the film are about, mainly due to the haze of drugs he was in at the time, and feels that several scenes are pointless. Yes. True on all accounts. <laughs> there you go. Man. Another film worth watching just to be able to say you've watched it. Mm-hmm. On to our final film. Please. All right, from 1984, we have The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Dr. Uh, yes, uh, this is uh, Emilio Lizardo. Maybe you don't remember me. Ah, I'm flattered. Uh, we know the same people. Yeah, in fact, one of them is with me right now, your associate, uh, Dr. Penny Premi. Doctor? Uh, may I pass along my congratulations for your great uh, interdimensional uh, breakthrough? I'm sure in the miserable annals of the earth you will be duly enshrined. However, uh, Miss Pretty claims to be unable to solve my problem and provide me with the crucial missing circuit for my overthrust. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Maybe you can convince her to try. John O'Connor! I'm not worth it, Buckaroo. Forget about me. They'll never break me. Penny, never. get off the phone. Dr. Lazardo, really, what does she know about her thrust? She's not a scientist. Then shall we pay a penny for your thoughts? <laughs> Maybe you can come in her place, huh? Yo-Yo died. That's I. You know the address. Come along. Bring your overthrust. He'll come. I know he's a guy. Take her to the pit. Mills, Mills, Mills. Uh huh. Do you want me to just break your heart now, or? I mean, you better not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This movie's a national treasure. I knew there was no way you didn't like this movie. <laughs> like there. It... <laughs> <laughs> that would have been our biggest argument <laughs> since AI if uh, <laughs> if you didn't like this movie. Which, uh, even as I was watching it again, I was like, man, Dex is going to love this. Yeah, it's, it's free goddamn ridiculous. In a fever dream, I could have said, did I write this movie <laughs> with some of the names of things? <laughs> Just like the ridiculous shit. I was like, I was like, yeah, Bill's was right. Like, uh. It's not like a, I would ne- certainly wouldn't consider it a, a complete home run, but like this is like this is my kind of, especially the eighties, but just uh, you know, cult classic. 
that I'm just discovering now. This is the definition of a cult film. Yeah, like, this is just... It's kind of crazy that this movie got made with a $17 million budget, but... How, how this is even a movie literally does blow my mind. Yeah. Or even that, I, I have never seen a lick of screen time of any part of this movie. <laughs> I didn't know a single thing about this movie. Uh, you've never seen the... Uh... What's the line that uh, John Lithgow says in the beginning of the movie? Uh, Laugh while you can, a monkey boy. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Oh, jeez. Oh. oh, I feel like I feel like that is a thing that makes its rounds around the internet. No, never. I mean, uh, where do we begin? I mean, even just even just Italian John Lithgow. <laughs> Italian. Uh, alien from the planet 10, Electroid oh. from the planet 10, yeah. John Lithgow. You got Doc, Doc Brown in here. Oh, you know? the, the cast is incredible. You've got Peter Weller as Buckaroo Banzai. You got John Lithgow as the villain, Dr. Emilio Lizardo, aka Dr. <laughs> John Warfen. Jeff Goldblum as Dr. Sidney Zweibel, aka New Jersey. Uh, Christopher Lloyd as John Big Bootay. <laughs> um,. Oh, Clancy God. Brown is Rawhide. Dan Hedaya is in there. The guard at the insane asylum in the beginning that John Lithgow calls Monkey Boy is Mike from Breaking Bad. Yes. Jonathan yep. Banks. I did catch that. And then like Ellen Barkin is like a serious actress yeah. and she's hands, in this. Hands uh, down the oldest movie I've ever seen her in. Yeah. Early for her career. But yeah, just an incredible cast in a movie that I feel like just large swaths of the population have no idea exists. Yeah, how how could they? I mean, it's just it's just so weird. I'm with you. Like there's this feeling of like, man, this feels like something I would write. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just because I love I just love all of the I, like the movie itself isn't like incredible, but it's just like all right. the parts that go into it and like the world that you can kind of feel is there. Mm-hmm. Uh just the idea that Buckaroo Banzai is the child of an American woman and a Japanese father. And his actual given birth name is Buckaroo Bonsai. (laughs) Like check. Yep. And he grows up to be this like brilliant neurosurgeon. And then he also is in a band that seems kind of cheesy, but like everybody loves them. And at the same time, he's like this brilliant scientist who has a direct line to the president. Yeah. He's and a physicist, he's... neurosurgeon, test pilot, and rock star. I was like, look at this <laughs> yeah. Tony Stark motherfucker back in the 80s. And he's got like a huge fan base that call themselves like the Blue Blazers. And yeah. kids and adults alike are, are members of it. And they make comic books about him. And he's like, Buckaroo Banzai is like a household name because he's just like this popular persona and in his travels around the world doing like adventures and touring with his band, he has just met different interesting people and they're parts of his inner circle. Like, uh, like New Jersey, the Jeff Goldblum character who Mm -hmm. joins him in this movie or perfect Tommy. Who's like his right hand (laughs) man or Mm -hmm. rawhide who almost feels like his manager. Clancy Brown, another one. And they all wear like crazy outfits and they're like, pop stars, scientists. It just, yeah, it's this whole vibe. It's just like Johnny quest ish. Yeah. Johnny quest. This made me think of like, 
I mean, it's not exactly Tom Strong, but it's like those kind. Oh, of Oh yeah, like, it's it's very know, much like, like uh, pulpy like Tom Strong or the Shadow or uh, yeah. Doc Savage, like how in the Shadow, which we reviewed on the show, uh, he had like this um this group of people whose lives he had saved, and now mm-hmm. they're part of like his inner circle. And if he needs them, he calls on them at a moment's notice. Like in this movie, when. Uh, Buckaroo Banzai's life is in danger. They basically, one of his buddies gets on the radio and puts a call out to the fans like, hey, uh, Blue Blazers, Buckaroo Banzai is in trouble. And then like a little kid whose dad is a helicopter pilot, like gets his dad to fly him out and rescue Buckaroo Banzai. It's just like, I just yes. love the vibe of that. The- sign, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, like this is like, God, it's just like, I was like, I just want to watch, I want, I said to myself, I was like, I want to go read Tom Strong. I want to watch The Rocketeer. I want to yeah. like draw something. I was, like, I was like, dude, this is just like so ridiculous. It's just like all these things that like in a big melting pot, it just speaks yeah. to me. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'm not even, you know, like I've seen the Doc Savage Man of Bronze movie, which is not anything special, but it's like campy and fun. And like, I know of doc savage because i you know i'm into nerdy stuff and read comics and all and like i know of the shadow but i've had like a little bit of experience with him but like it's all these things that i have like a peripheral knowledge of but like melted down into this like super weird 1980s like goofball sci-fi john lithgow just going absolutely insane and fucking jeff goldblum running around in a cowboy outfit yeah because he thought like that's what he would show up for as like an interview it was like uh, all the aliens' names are John. It's just like... It's, <laughs> yeah, every... It's like John Yaya, John Big Boutte, John Warfin. Dude, John Big Boutte is just like a gag throughout the movie. Until the end, where he he corrects John Lithgow and he shoots him in the chest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I laughed out loud. I couldn't believe it. There's just so many, like, oh, that guy shit. actors. And oh, yeah. it's, like, shitty looking almost on purpose. Yep. Like just a tons bit, of like yeah. those like in camera effects and and old optical effects and mm-hmm. but they like they put money into it like they went like pretty far like building a rocket car you mm-hmm. know like shit like that and like the aliens look pretty shitty you know they're like they're not great creature effects but it's like it still fits for some reason yeah it feels like they live like those aren't realistic looking aliens either but it's like yeah. within the context of the movie they still feel like they belong or something. Right. I just love, you know, it it has this feeling of like the old days and like the space race when like, you know, NASA pilots were household names. But instead of like, okay, we're going to take a ship into space, which seems like a pretty reasonable, realistic thing to do in this, they're like, okay, I traveled through a solid object because I went into the (laughs) Mm -hmm. eighth dimension and like the public doesn't understand. And I just love the the actual sci-fi and the way that yeah. um the way that Peter Weller describes it. He's got like a piece of rock in his hand and he's like, uh, you know, between all the electrons and the protons and whatever of this rock, there's actual space, and we've always thought there might be a way through it. And he's like, But if you were to demolish that, like crush that entire mountain that I went through, that I traveled through and sift through all of the rubble. You would never find this. And he unveils like this alien spore that was attached to his ship from another dimension. And ah, all that stuff is just like, 
it's funny. Just bonkers. But at the same time, it like scratches that weird itch of like, ooh, I love these sci-fi concepts. Mm-hmm. This feels like a prequel to the fifth element to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like to like tonally, you know? It's just like Yeah, it's in that same tonal ballpark where Yeah, for sure. You know, unlike like, some like we were talking about with Barbarella, you know, there technically is like a laser that could destroy the earth that we're trying to get our hands on and stop, but it never feels like there's any real threat. Like this movie manages to walk the fine line of I'm still invested in the plot and seeing it resolved, but at the same time, it's like goofy enough that mm-hmm. it's just, it's fun to watch the whole time. And it's yeah. not like a pulse pounding thriller, but it has right. its cake and eats it too yeah. for the small cult audience yeah, that likes pretty much. it. Yeah. I had a fun, a uh, uh, fun little like war of the worlds reference. You know, yeah. like the that kind of shit stuff like that awesome. I love. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, I I I I love this movie. <laughs> I will say not it's like in a vacuum, like don't change a thing. I feel like Peter Weller's like so miscast. Like I wonder what? like who could no be way. better. I do. Cause he's just like he feels just like so robotic. I'm not sure if that's like like, could someone else play that completely different? I mean, that's the thing I kind of like about it is that he's so, like, nonchalant and bland, but it's, like, the things that he does, like, being a scientist and all that makes him, like, that makes everybody love him. Whereas if you got, like, I don't know, like, Michael J. Fox to play the role and he was, like, super charismatic, I I don't know if that would... I don't know. If, if the humor like I said, would I wouldn't, be the like... same necessarily change it but it's like i just don't know that was like one thing throughout i was like i just don't i don't know about him as this i, but it's still, I love it, it personally <laughs> doesn't take away from my enjoyment like i said i wouldn't even know if i would change it but it just like that is a thing that was like god this feels like such odd casting to me and i think like part of the reason that i like it is because if the, if he were a real person who was like a rock star and everybody loved him he probably would be more charismatic and quote-unquote likable but in this movie where it takes place in like a world slightly not like our own, he's so like boring, but everybody loves him. It, it's like, yeah. I, there's something I like about that. He's stiff and he, he's kind of monotone and well, you know, he definitely he's, is. he's not a bad looking man, but he's like, a, he doesn't have like a Brad Pitt kind of face. No, he's old. He's got I mean, that, he's, pretty. he's got that Peter Weller, like cheekbones and oh yeah. He's just, he plays a great robot. <laughs> <laughs> but I see what you're saying where, like, if it could fit the character, I just, I feel like it'll always be a thing. I'll just be, you know, I'll always wonder, like, what other way would that have gone? But again, it's not saying it takes away from my enjoyment or that I would even change it. It'll just kind of always be like a what if, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's never, it. you know, I know the movie as what it is with the cast that it has. I've never questioned it myself, but I find it hard to believe that uh, you could have gotten a better actor to play that role than Peter Weller. <laughs> uh, I just, I love his deliveries. Like <laughs> when they're at the press conference thing and he, he starts to walk away to take the phone call from the president and uh penny pretty, says to him uh you forgot your your over th- you forgot your thruster and then he turns around and he just looks and kind of gives a smirk and he's like why don't you hold on to it for a while <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh shit his like dry deliveries are so good oh buckaroo bantai i love the name i just yeah 
The Ugh. names of everything are great. Yeah, like the I'm I'm kind of mad that I don't own like a Buckaroo Bonsai uh, like blue blazer patch for like my jacket. Oh yeah, I need like a like a Hong Kong Cavaliers. Oh, the Hong Kong tour, Cavaliers tour T-shirt or something. <laughs> oh my god. I, I, like one of the only things I think the movie is missing is a full performance by the band. Yeah, they start to play one song and about. 15, 20 seconds in, they stop because he sees Penny crying in the crowd. Right. I love that scene of him talking to her over the uh, the microphone in front of the entire audience, mm-hmm. like having this one-on-one conversation that's like really awkward and kind of inappropriate with a crowd, but it's a great scene. But yeah, I wish that we got like a full performance out of them before that, was the part. that happened. Right out of the gate, I was like, I don't know. I did not know what to think of this movie. But once they certainly get to that point, I was like, getting very much on board. I was like, they're really playing a concert. Like, they really are a band. Yeah. This this is amazing. Yeah. I was like, Robocop is really the fart man for this band. It's just like, like, imagine if, like, during the height of the Beatles, John Lennon was a neurosurgeon who drove, like, test-piloted futuristic cars in his spare time yeah. and it's just it's such a great concept for a character i don't know it is i mean it, totally i mean you're you were right in knowing that i would this would be up my alley just, <laughs> just like this there's a level of like ridiculous and like adjacent ridiculousness that i just love and it's like it's stuff like this yeah I mean, there was no question in my mind that Joe Daxberger would like this movie when I read this quote from the uh, writer, <laughs> Earl MacRoush. He says that the script was inspired by, quote, all those out-and-out, press-the-accelerator-to-the-floor, nonstop kung fu movies of the early 70s. <laughs> yes. Totally. Yes. Absolutely. There's a lot out there to read about this movie, and I recommended it, or I recommend it. So his original 30-page treatment for the film was called... Find the jet car, said the president, a buckaroo oh, bonsai thriller. Jesus Christ. How good of a title is that? Oh my God. Like, I need, I need more buckaroo bonsai <laughs> in my life, Bill. <laughs> like, <laughs> Another early draft was titled uh, The Strange Case of Mr. Cigars, and it was about a huge robot and a box of Adolf Hitler's cigars. Oh, no. You're just making this up because you know I would love it. I swear I'm not. I mean, these feel like the kind of titles that would be on, like, uh, like, uh, the big guy in Rusty, uh, the boy robot comics. Um, I was looking through my hardcover collection of those the other day, and Jeff Darrow did a bunch of fake covers as though big guy had his own comic series, like, from back in the 50s, and they just had, like, ridiculous taglines and things on them, and it was, like... You know, big guy fighting like Nazi pigs and things like this. And all these titles feel like they belong on those covers. And that's like exactly the kind of stuff that I love. Like that's like that's I want a library full of those kind of comics. Yeah. Yeah. And an early draft of the final version of the film was called Lepers from Saturn. Of course. Before they changed it to Lectroids from the planet 10 in the eighth dimension. (laughs) Why is there just not like 300 issues of a. Buckaroo Banzai comic for me to read. So there have been some Buckaroo Banzai comic sequels. They've all been done by like very small publishers. Mm -hmm. I've clapped eyes on a few of them over the years, but 
it's one of these things where this is the impression that I get anyway from the ones that I've seen. I haven't read any of them. This is just my impression because I was thinking about this. This movie is about Buckaroo Banzai goes through the eighth dimension and which basically opens the door for a bunch of aliens from another planet to come here. And so it's about aliens. It's about other dimensions. But the beautiful thing about a character like Buckaroo Banzai or Doc Savage or The Shadow or whoever is that one volume of their their stories could be about them fighting saucer men, but then the next volume could be now we're fighting Nazis, or the next volume yep. would be oh I found myself in a prehistoric land fighting dinosaurs and cavemen. Mm-hmm. Like the even the the title for a proposed sequel that comes at the end of the movie where it oh. says like you know join us next time for Buckaroo Banzai against the what was it called uh, like the, the World Crime something League. Crime Syndicate yeah like the World. Like, that sounds like it wouldn't be about, like, sci-fi alien stuff. It would be about some kind of, you know, supervillain or something. And the impression that I have gotten from all the comics I've looked at is that instead of, like, taking Buckaroo Banzai and putting him in a different kind of adventure, it seems like people really get stuck on the, like, eighth dimension alien thing. Oh, yeah. No, you gotta just put him in any... Any ridiculous scenario. Yeah. And, you know, typically from what I've seen, you know, a lot of them are like black and white and Buckaroo Banzai feels like a very colorful yeah, thing. No, and, you know, the art typically doesn't look that good. So I've never actually bothered reading any of them. But again, the, the uh, Buckaroo Banzai Against the World Crime League was actually planned to be a sequel if the movie was successful, which it was not. Budget was seventeen million. Box office was six point three. Damn, and that doesn't surprise me. Like this is just the kind of movie that would not succeed in the time when it is released. Like this is a movie that becomes appreciated twenty years later. Yeah, there's no, there's no way this succeeds. Yeah, but speaking of approximately twenty years later, in nineteen ninety eight, Fox announced a television series titled Buckaroo Banzai: Ancient Secrets and New Mysteries, but it was never oh, released. God damn it. And then in 2016, Kevin Smith announced that he was going to be turning the movie into a TV series for Amazon. I couldn't find any more information about this, but it fell apart because MGM sued the original creators. Oh. So that kind of fell through. Yeah, I don't... Boy. Jamie Lee Curtis played Buckaroo Banzai's mother in a flashback sequence that was cut. Oh. I haven't seen it myself, but I believe it's on the Blu-ray that I have. Oh, Okay. I thought this was funny. So it just occurred to me, actually, uh, I didn't realize I had put this guy's name in my notes for both movies, but David Bagelman, the uh, the guy who kind of forced the executive to make the movie Zardoz because he was uh, John Borman's agent, mm-hmm. he was also an MGM studio exec working on Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> Damn. And uh, this is something else I read on Wikipedia that I thought was funny. He was constantly interfering with the production and trying to get them to change things early on in like the shooting uh-huh. and uh, constantly giving them notes. But by the end of filming, the uh, cast and crew noticed that the demands had pretty much stopped and they became convinced that Bagelman had basically checked out and washed his hands of the movie like, oh, nothing I do is going to save this. And <laughs> to test their theory, they added the scene with uh, the watermelon. Do you remember that? 
that the moment? Fuck? Yes, of course. <laughs> Where two characters are walking through this, the scene and Jeff Goldblum just points to a watermelon randomly in a piece of machinery. Yeah, does the guy just like, say like, oh, I'll tell you about it later? Or yeah, he's like, what's that watermelon doing there? And the other guy's like, I'll tell you about it later. What? So they added that scene to the final cut of the movie. And then after it showed and it received no comment from Bagelman, they realized, oh, oh well, he he doesn't even give a shit anymore. Otherwise, he would have asked what the hell the watermelon scene was about. So they just basically decided to turn the movie into whatever they wanted at that point. <laughs> I just end up liking this movie more and more, Milzy. Yeah, that's good stuff. Holy shit. I mean, again, it's like... <sighs> It's like part of me like loves that this is just like some time capsule thing. Like, thank God it's even like we even have that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but also want more. And I want it in all in all these ridiculous forms because it's like right up my alley. Yeah, yeah. It. I mean, it would have been amazing if there were more of these movies, or if like uh like Marvel Comics had done some comic books back in the day or something about mm-hmm. it. But um, yeah. I mean, I am. I know we've talked about this before, how many times we have, you know, watched like Spider-Man and heard that, uh, you know, they were going to have the amalgamated dynamics mask for Green Goblin in the movie and we didn't end up getting it and how we've said mm-hmm. like, man, I I would love to visit the alternate dimension where yes, that happened and get to see it. Like we live in the dimension where... Buckaroo Banzai happened, and for that alone, I'm just, I'm happy. I'm happy <laughs> yeah, that this movie exists, same. and uh, there's a Blu-ray of it, and there's a commentary with uh, the filmmaker, and I'm just, I'm so happy that this movie exists. I could own that for sure, clearly. Yeah. It's just like, so this is just, this is just like my level of out there. <laughs> you know. Did you ever see uh, Ready Player One? Yes. It's crazy to me that in a movie that mainstream, there was actually a pretty big reference to oh, yeah? this movie. Yeah, I don't know if you recall, but... Um, no, the, the I main, probably would have gone over my head. The main character in the movie says that, uh, you know, that whole film is about obsession with pop culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says that his favorite movie is Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, okay. And there's like a scene, I, it's been, I haven't seen it since the theater, but there's a scene where like they go into the virtual reality world and he's going to meet up with like the female lead at like a club or something. And he's dressed in Buckaroo Banzai's gray suit in that scene where he like meets up with the girl for a date or whatever. And it's crazy to me that like, Oh God, in a, you know, a big budget, uh, you know, blockbuster movie based on an extremely popular novel that's being directed by Steven fucking Spielberg. Somebody said out loud the words Buckaroo Banzai. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a deep cut. I like it. Yeah. You know what I loved was uh the end the end credits. Like it's cut. It's not quite a music video. Yeah, you them know, walking through the uh, the drainage God. ditch. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, even then would have been a good time to have a uh like them do a musical performance yeah. over the credits or something. Yeah. But... Honestly, if it if this movie's like missing anything big, it's it's like a more music, more from the band. Yeah, like an actual performance by them. I forgot to mention earlier, uh, talking about the uh, Buckaroo Banzai Against the World Crime League. Just last year, in 2021, the original writer uh, released a novel, <laughs> Buckaroo Banzai Against the World Crime League, which I would be curious to read, actually. <laughs> would it surprise you to know that uh, the director of this movie was one of the writers of Big Trouble in Little China? No. 
<laughs> I mean, it feels very in line with this, like totally, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with that. No. I thought that was Man. kind of a cool connection. What a time to be alive. <laughs> yeah. And Millsy, I probably never would have watched this movie. See? Yeah, I mean, I guess I just never sung its praises enough to you because uh No. Yeah, this this was this was like uh, fate was leading you to this movie, I feel. I mean, just don't be surprised if you see Banzai fan art show up. Oh god. Just nothing cause. would make me happier. <laughs> <laughs> Every year in October, it's like people do Inktober, or last year uh, we did uh, Pouchtober. Uh huh. We need to do uh, like Buckaroo-tober or something. Oh, okay. All right, you said it. Bucktober. <laughs> Bucktober. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> make it so. Oh, <laughs> Bucktober. All right. Shall we uh, talk about some posters? Ooh. Oh, yes, please. So because these are all like crazy fantasy films, uh, they all have beautifully painted uh, movie posters. This mm-hmm. could be the best lineup of posters we've ever had for an episode. Uh, I could probably give this the crown right now. Yeah. I don't think we've had a stronger trifecta of posters. Yeah. So uh, Barbarella is painted by uh, Boris Vallejo. Who oh, is like is a it? very yeah, yeah. beloved and well-known fantasy artist? I mean, the uh, the painting is fucking gorgeous. Like, there's I mean, nothing bad to say about that. Like, like any good poster, especially from the time, it looks better than the movie. Like, it sells the movie. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I want to know is why doesn't uh, Pygar have his wings? Wings. Yeah. I just Probably noticed that's that. so that's so outlandish. Like that's one of the things that barely doesn't fit the most in the movie. Is there's an angel? So yeah, yeah. But man, this is a great poster. Yeah, I mean, gorgeous painted poster. Um, you know, it's just this was like the style back then where the image of the poster wasn't the whole poster. It would be like in a white bounding box or whatever. But mm-hmm. I don't mind it. I mean, it's it's no. it's it's a, it's a lovely poster. I mean, there's no two ways about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, who can save the universe? I don't really understand the reason for that title or that tagline. I yeah, I don't like that it's in blue, and I just don't even like that it's there, period. But that's probably my only negative with this poster. Yeah. Now, I did also, now that I'm looking at it, uh, I assume this is the poster for the original release as well, but uh, there was a re-release in the 70s when the original Star Wars came out in theaters, uh, 1977. I guess because they were like, oh, space is popular right now. Let's put this movie back oh, out in the theater and make some more money. This so, says re-release at the bottom. It does, okay. So yeah. they uh, they removed like the nudity and some of the sexual stuff, which I feel like would make the movie like 55 minutes long if you did that. Pretty much. And they changed the title from Barbarella to Barbarella, Queen of the Galaxy, which this mm. does say. Trying to get that Star Wars money. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So good. Fantastic poster. I love the uh, whatever metal suit guys. Yeah, the, the, army like, the Black Knights or yeah. whatever they're called. Yeah. No, this this poster rocks. Mm-hmm. Zardoz, not as great of a image, but uh, it is a painting by Ron Lesser, who I didn't know by name, but also gave us the posters for such films as High Plains Drifter and Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Oh, okay. I love the logo. Oh, yeah. I like the like actually the green clouds. If they cut out like the two like vignettes on the both sides of whatever's going on, it was <laughs> just like the hand and the big head and maybe uh, Connery would mm-hmm. be a lot better. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't hate this one. Yeah, I me neither. 
The clouds almost read to me like trees. I don't know if that's supposed to be the case because they're green. I don't really understand the point of the giant hand because, you know, the giant head yeah, is there, a thing. There is no, no giant, giant hand, hand yeah. uh, for Sean Connery to be standing in. <laughs> it is slightly off center, which is a little weird. Too. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, all in all, it's it's a nice painting. Uh, I do agree that it's not as strong of an image as uh, Barbarella's. Mm-hmm. I actually like like the uh, bounding box here. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's a good look. Yeah, uh, that tagline: mm-hmm. "Beyond 1984, Beyond 2001, Beyond Love, Beyond Death." Doesn't make a ton of sense, but neither does the movie. So yeah, it's pretty stupid. But I am not going to complain too much. I mean, I guess. Not that it's not a good tagline, but like if you looked at this without the tagline, I would think this was uh, like a, an old medieval or, you know. With that costume that he's wearing? <laughs> yeah. Well, because he kind of can't make any like, it almost looks like gladiator-ish. It doesn't scream to me like future sci-fi Yeah, from here. Because I can't even tell if he has a gun or bullets or what, but. Mm-hmm. I can't tell. Is that, that like light burst to the left of Sean Connery? Is that like him shooting? Yeah, I can't tell what his hand or if that's his shoulder. Yeah, I can't really tell. Yeah, that must be what it is, I guess. Oh, no, it's the ring. He's making a fist. Oh, I It's see. that, like, uh, crystal oh, that's his, ring. Oh, that's, that's half of his hand. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. it's it's kind of like Siri, <laughs> but a right. ring. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. All right, all right. But, yeah, uh, good. Nice painting, but not, uh, not as amazing as Barbarella. Mm-hmm. And then finally we have Buckaroo Banzai, which uh, this one is painted by an artist named John Alvin. And I was trying to do a little research, as you know, right before we started recording. And I was a little confused because he's got like a bazillion posters attributed to him. But among them, we saw like the Goonies, which I'm like 99% sure was a Drew Struzan poster. Same. So, yeah. So I don't know if there was like an alternate poster for that, but like he had so many posters attributed to him that I can't believe that I didn't really know his name before. But, uh, I mean, this is a nice poster. Yeah. It's like, I don't actually, it doesn't live up to the movie. I think the movie's, uh, the, the vibe of the movie doesn't totally come through for me on this poster. Yeah. But not to say it's bad. It's not ugly. I mean, you wouldn't look at this and think it's going to be like the absolute, yeah, batshit crazy movie that it is. Or de force that the movie is, but yeah, you know, it's another nice painting. I agree, it doesn't uh, get across the yeah vibe of the movie as much. Millsy baby, break it down for the people. Uh, well, Barbarella is going to be a big old five. Uh, I guess I'll give it um five costume changes <laughs> for Jane oh, Fonda. Nice. <laughs> I think between the other two, I like Buckaroo Banzai more, just based on the actual artwork itself. Yes. I think it should get four oscillate, oscillate, oscillation overthrusters. <laughs> is that what they're called? I'll, I'll go with it. <laughs> you got at least two of the three words right at, at least. <laughs> and then Zardoz, yeah, it's like a little more messy and uh busy than it needs to mm-hmm. be but i mean it's still a, a nice painting it's a pretty uh appealing image and the uh 
the logo, the title logo is logo great. Is good. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to give that one uh, three inches of fabric covering Sean Connery's dick and balls. <laughs> Man. Because <laughs> that's about all there is. Because it can't miss. Just <laughs> done it again. <sighs> so All right. Let's break it down for the people. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to match again. I'll just go ahead and say, if it wasn't already obvious, Buckaroo Banzai is a uh, national treasure. That's going to be my buy. I do own it, and uh, Uh I cherish it. Uh I think everybody should see this movie. (laughs) I concur. It's just, uh, it's a joy, an absolute joy to behold, and I'm so glad it exists. We're lucky it's a thing. Yeah. Like, this movie does not get made today. Fuck no. It's one of those things where it's kind of like Barbarella, where when I read all the stuff about like, oh, Kevin Smith's going to turn it into a TV show for Amazon, I'm like, that is never going to work. Yeah. Like, with today's not. sensibility, it just, you that was lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing where like, you know, Ghostbusters was a perfect movie, lightning in a bottle. Four years later, with the same exact cast, writers, director, they couldn't capture that magic again. I'm right. I'm sure if Buckaroo Banzai Against the World Crime League came out like three, four years after the original, <laughs> it would probably be a pretty big disappointment. Uh, like it's probably name. best that it only exists as yeah. the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. And that's enough for me. It's got, it has to be. Yeah. Uh, between the other two, neither are movies I really love. Neither are movies I really like all that much, but uh, I got to give it to Barbarella just because it's winking and nodding self-awareness makes it easier to watch than Zardoz, which, um, you know, the two or three concepts that I like in Zardoz uh, don't even come close to saving it. I mean, I'd say both are worth watching just for the experience, but uh, I'm going to borrow Barbarella, which I do own. (laughs) I have bought for $5 Mm -hmm. back in the day, and uh, I'm going to burn Zardoz in the wasteland. Okay. I like it. Clearly, buying Buckaroo Banzai. I mean, it's my kind of movie, you know, for all the same reasons and just like it's... uh... Yeah, I would I would actually like look forward to owning that. That could be like easily be like a movie I would just like put on in the background while I do other things, <laughs> and like at random times will look up and laugh. For the other two, I'm going to borrow Barbarella. I didn't particularly enjoy myself. In retrospect, I did. I find it to be a little more fun. Where Zardoz. My new least favorite movie we watched on Triple Threat. More than Abraxas? Like, least I, favorite or worst? Because Abraxas it's, is... It's probably the same. I If I had to watch one of those right now, it's Abraxas, for sure. Maybe just to see it again, to see how bad that was. But, like, that—that that is the kind of experience I had with Zardoz. I did not enjoy <laughs> a single second of Zardoz. So you're you're ready to uh, announce that your official vote for the worst movie we've watched is Zardoz, because <laughs> like I get where you're coming from, but I, I like Abraxas is like I've said it before. Abraxas is hardly a film; like it is I'm an gonna, ugly, I'm, shitty mess. I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna say it's official, but I feel in my heart of heart like it could be. 
but I don't know if I could bring it up on myself to revisit either of them to be sure. <laughs> well, so that's what I it did, took I, to potentially unseat uh, Abraxas. I, I did pose the question, but yeah, I mean, Abraxas was just Abraxas is a brutal non-movie, but man, Zardoz is right up there. So that's getting launched into the sun. Please, fair enough. It had it coming, I guess. Oof, man. <laughs> the the people were right. <laughs> All the thoughts I had ever seeing those stills from that movie. It's fitting. <laughs> fitting. Just like uh, Sean Connery's Speedo <laughs> bottom barely does. Milsey, <laughs> Milsey. <sighs> All right. Uh, how many movies we got to, how many uh, episodes <laughs> we got to break down here? We have uh, 238 potential themes. Is there a theme that's more bananas than the one we just did? Or did we did we just hit a new peak? I think that was the peak. I mean, for sure. It has to be. There's, I couldn't think right now. I mean, it's a big list, but... I mean, yeah, the whole point of, the, of uh, this episode was for it to be like the craziest movies ever made. Mm-hmm. And we, we nailed it. Here we go. What do we got? 149, Milsey. 149. 149. Oh. oh. <laughs> Next episode. Uh, wow. I can't believe I'm I have excited. to rewatch one of these. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode, is, uh, the theme is Creepy Crawlies. Yeah. I've seen one of these back when it came out. That was it. You could probably guess which Back one. when it came out? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I've seen two of the three, and I'm really upset that I have to rewatch one of them. <laughs> yes. Creepy crawlies. Could mean a lot of things. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it'll make plenty of sense when we actually uh, oh, yeah. reveal what they are. But, uh, you know, go ahead and get your guesses in. Uh, I feel like once every four episodes, somebody actually writes to us on Instagram and guesses what the movies are. Uh, it'd be nice to get a little more listener interaction. I know there's more than one of you out there listening. It's true. But, uh, you know. Yeah. Well. We're going to record the show either way, so I guess uh, you're under no <laughs> obligation right. to do anything. <laughs> but, uh... Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, well. Until next time when we discuss creepy crawlies uh, for this episode, my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. And always remember, no matter where you go, there you are. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy. happy.